Hey, I'm Riley. And I'm Taylor. And welcome to the Happy Hour Film Club. The podcast where we talk about movies over cocktails. And our theme today is holiday movies. As per usual, we do try to avoid major spoilers, but sometimes they happen. We do discuss the films, but we also try really hard to talk about them in a way that's both entertaining and still leaves you wanting to watch. Okay, so it's the holidays, the season in which we all have our big long list of movies that are our yearly go-tos. So what are some of your annual holiday movies that you tend to watch, Taylor? Okay, so I like to do a mix between like classic and more like, I guess, modern um, holiday movies because I feel like the holidays, a big part of it is tradition. And so it's like, well, yeah, like we always have to watch these and they're like the old ones. So I like watching um, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and like The Muppet Christmas Carol. And I like watching um, newer and I guess new I'll put with quotes because I I don't really see them as like classic Christmas movies. They're kind of more modern ones, mm-hmm. but like Elf is a big one. Um I actually really like Christmas with the Cranks. I like the holiday. Even like new ones that come out like every year. Mm-hmm. I like watching those. So really any, I'm not really that picky with Christmas movies. Do you, what are your go-to movies? Yeah, I think that every year I have a few that I make a point to watch. Um, Christmas Vacation is a big one on the list. We always watch that every year as a family um, I think last year my mom even gave, gifted that to me for Christmas, which was really sweet on DVD. It was nice to have. And then A White Christmas um, mm-hmm. with Bean Crosby and Danny Kaye. Absolutely love that film. I was in, um, I was at a friend's house. They were having a cereal and cartoon party the other oh. morning. So it was a Saturday morning. We all came together in our PJs. And we all brought a box of our favorite childhood cereal. Mm-hmm. And we watched Scooby-Doo and Spongebob and just different, you know, childhood cartoons. And uh, I don't know who brought it up, but somebody started singing Sisters from A White Christmas. And the whole room starts singing it, except for like two people. Uh, and one of them is my friend Bar- Brian. And I turned to him and I was like, do you, do you not know what that's from? He was like, no. Have you ever seen White Christmas? He's like, no. And I was like, how have you not seen White Christmas? Because it's such a classic and staple, especially yeah. in our household. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I have it on Blu-ray. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Special edition. Yes. So good. There was actually a really cool pop-up at a museum. I believe it was the Fraser History Museum. Perhaps I could have gotten that wrong, but the one down in Louisville. Oh, yeah, it's down in Louisville, and they had a pop up of White Christmas. They had a bunch of the costumes and a, buff- a bunch of the set pieces from the film. They had different like manuscripts and things. It was really really cool. It was, cool. Um, it was a lot of fun, especially the costumes were just gorgeous um, and very small. Mm. They were all very small people, except for Danny Kay, who was of course you know towering, but. Right. Uh, let me think. We also watch Elf. We have some more modern films, like you were saying, too. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that later on with my movie pick as well. But kind of it's interesting finding the movies that fit what you're looking for during the holidays because mm. so many films come out centered around the holidays. Yeah. In almost this blockbustery kind of like we know that families are going to be gathered together and watching movies, so we want to be the next thing that goes on their list. Yeah. In um, Christmas with the Cranks is one that I think kind of does that. The Grinch was big when that came out. That was kind of a newer, the live action Grinch. Yeah. Um, a Christmas Story is a big one too. Mm-hmm. The you'll sh- you'll shoot your eye out. You know. Yeah, that's a classic for sure. That one's really good. So. Those are a couple of our our must-watch 
movies. I really like the holiday movies, and I feel like Both the Bars kind of does this. Um, so before we segue into our movie picks, um, I just feel like there are certain movies that center around the holiday season, as in they like span through from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's, and like Trading Places have you with uh, um, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. That's one that I like watching this time of year. It, I wouldn't per, I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie, but it's definitely a holiday movie because mm-hmm. it does take place like primarily in that Christmas to New Year's time frame. And um, well, the holiday you mentioned too. Oh, that's true. The holiday takes place. It's over the holidays. It goes all the way through to New Year's. So yes. I, I consider that a holiday movie. Yes. More so than just a Christmas movie, especially because it's centered on two people that are away from their families. Traditionally, mm. you know, you're traveling to be with your family. And in this case, they're very much on their own. So mm. it feels a little separate, less traditional than your typical, like, purely Christmas time movie. Yeah. And I would say When Harry Met Sally is another one. I kind of like watching around, like, New Year's. Because um, it, I mean, it, it takes place over, you know, spans obviously several years, but I feel like the pivotal scenes are happening around the holidays and like New Year's Eve in particular. So, yeah, there's a lot out there. I love watching movies this time of year. Me too. And honestly, the list is too long. It's a busy time of year, so sometimes it can be difficult to carve out time to like watch these movies like you kind of have to have like I like to watch put some on when I'm writing out my Christmas cards and I'll play some while I'm decorating just to have in the background and um but the the breakfast cereal thing that's a brilliant idea and actually it'd be a lot of fun to do that with like Frosty the snowman and like Rudolph and like Santa Claus is coming to town like those old claymation cartoons yeah we actually have all of those on dvd and those are the films that we watch while we're decorating the tree so typically what we do is we decorate the tree the day after thanksgiving Mm -hmm. because myself and my sister are home to traditionally like i've been away at school or now she's in college so she's away most of the time so whenever we're back home and together we'll put those cartoons on and decorate the tree i think this year we did Frosty. Frosty took us through most of the tree decorating. Okay, yeah, that's a, but... lo- that's a longer one, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, what movies did we select? So I selected The Apartment. Yes. Riley, what was your movie? Uh, I picked The Last Holiday, or Last Holiday, sorry. Um, and I think we both picked movies that the other one hadn't seen, right? Right. So you hadn't seen Last Holiday, I hadn't seen The Apartment. So it was fun rewatching the ones we had, watching the new new films that we had it. But before we do that, I think we should probably get some cocktails. All right, Nick, so we have some holiday cocktails. Tell us what you made us. Hello. Uh, so this week, we uh, we actually have two cocktails. Well, a, a cocktail and just a boozy drink yes. because the holidays so it just kind of depends on the mood for people so today we i've i've made a cranberry margarita um (laughs) the the faces i'm seeing are a little strong or intense it's tart tart it is tart i mean it is because i don't want it to just i don't yeah, it's it's cranberries. Like you should yeah. taste it, and mm-hmm. I know it's gonna be tart. It's it's tart, but good. I also I am like I have some uh, scars in my past from tequila, so I am just working through that. That is fair. Myself. Okay. That's so fair. the face is not a bad face. It is a very good margarita. But yeah. So continue. Continue. Yeah. It smells don't, great. Don't read too much into it. We yet. all have those scars. We all have those scars. Uh, so, so I, I made y'all a cranberry margarita because this was a fun little cocktail that was like non-traditional and, uh, just wanted to have fun with it. So, um, and well, actually I'll go into both. 
So I made the cranberry margarita and then just for fun, because let's be honest, like when you get to the holidays, like you just kind of want, sometimes you just want a quick, simple drink and eggnog is like a big, uh, holiday drink. I know a lot of people drink it. Um, so what we did also was a little bit of eggnog with some apple brandy. Uh, this is apple brandy that we got. Uh, Taylor and I got in Missouri. It's called Hooch, technically, or according to I say technically, like the technical name for it. Um, but it is a old-fashioned oatmeal cookie brandy, and the moment we put it in some eggnog was kind of life-changing. It's magical. It is very magical. It's a very magical drink. But honestly, like you can put any bourbon, whiskey, anything like that in there. A good Irish whiskey would go well with and um, with some eggnog. So I, I wanted to give two cocktails this year just because, or for this episode, because, um, yeah, it's the holidays. Like some people, you have some holiday people that are just like, go go and like make everything and like want to like go crazy and like have festive stuff and then you got some people who just want simple and easy and are got too much to deal with you gotta you gotta wrap presents like you gotta decorate like you don't have time to make a cranberry margarita so you get some eggnog you get some brandy throw them together um so that being said the uh uh cranberry margarita so it's two ounces of tequila um, an ounce and a quarter of cranberry juice. Uh, so just a little bit more. You can just do an ounce and then add a splash to it. Um, an ounce of lime juice. A uh, quarter ounce of simple syrup. So not as much as you normally would. Um, I use the, the Ocean Spray cranberry juice, which tends to have a little bit of sugar in it. So cut back on sugar just to help with that. Um, and then you throw everything into a shaker with some ice and shake it all up. And then you could be fancy and, you know, throw some cranberries in here or even like rosemary and stuff like that mm-hmm. into just to kind of garnish it. Yeah. You don't really have to, um, but it's up to you. Um, and then honestly, for the eggnog, it was just one ounce of whatever sounds good with eggnog. In our case, it's apple brandy. And you just pour in some eggnog. This was this was the least like scientific <laughs> true cocktail um but it's just a good simple drink cuz outside of the show or really outside of just like trying to craft cocktails I'm a pretty lazy cocktail maker so whatever is simple and easy oh i'm definitely a lazy drinker i think i drink more wine than anything else because all i have to do is open it yeah so and um, even that sometimes is really hard absolutely honestly those twist off caps are are way more convenient they're game changers (laughs) yes but the so the cranberry margarita is on on its own it's really pretty it's nice and pink it's got that pretty soft pink color from the cranberry juice and it is tart Mm. but i think i'd rather it be tart than sweet because Mm. i don't like certain cranberry juices because typically it's a cocktail rather than just the cranberry itself and you'll get that like overly almost syrupy sweet kind of flavor so i feel like this has to be more bitter than anything um and yeah, I'm not, I have tried to become more of a margarita appreciator because they are very accessible and let's be honest, Hacienda has great deals on frozen marts and chips and salsa. So mm. it's a whole afternoon if you're willing to make it so. But um, this is obviously not a Hacienda frozen margarita. It tastes delicious. Mm-hmm. It's for me, it's a little tequila heavy, That's fair. but I'm also not a tequila drinker. So yeah, that and makes sense. I would say if you're not a tequila person, so in our household, we like cheap gold tequila because this goes back to a Taylor family tradition, tradition? Of, oh my of, gosh. Her, of her grandfather really <laughs> loving like cheap tequilas because he wanted and and i quote 
he wanted to taste his tequila. Like, because tequila is like Patron. Like, the more you, like, you go up in price point, it smooths out a little bit. So he wanted it to bite. He wanted, he liked, he wanted it to, like, punch you. Like he, he liked um, 1800 which yeah. is kind of a... It's a mid-range. It's like mid-show. Yeah, yeah, that's not... You get a little burn, but, you but know, it's a smoother tequila. But famous, famously, he wanted to taste the tequila like not cover it up or mask it yeah. right oh my god and that's what like and that's you, how i am too i i like the taste of tequila i like the smell of tequila like the smell of this is amazing and my like appreciation for tequilas and stuff like that have come from the fact that like yeah taylor mm-hmm. is a tequila drinker <laughs> she comes from a tequila family <laughs> a long tequila line of tequila family. appreciators oh my gosh <laughs> Well, and I feel like I, you know, I've had a lot of friends, and especially in college, who were big tequila drinkers, and Patron was the typical go-to, mm. honestly. That was the Jersey Shore, like, drink at the time. Was Patron. Was Patron, yeah. Oh, I never watched it. I Neither did I, but all I knew from it was they liked Patron. I like the Patron mm-hmm. bottles. Like, we got a mm-hmm. bottle for... A gift once and mm-hmm. it's like just a nice it's cute it's, it's yeah. rounded mm-hmm. and it's got that nice little like knob like that goes cork. on top yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> not a knob <laughs> cork <laughs> <laughs> well the cork looks like a knob it yeah. does look like a like a doorknob people get your mind out of the gutter um We're not british so <laughs> yeah i and i've been told by other friends that i need to try more expensive tequila and then that would be probably more enjoyable but I don't think it's the smoothness for me it really is the smell the the taste it's more the smell than anything but Mm -hmm. I think just overdoing it with the tequila just like with anything if you overdo it it's it's going to the same yeah quickly tarnish that experience for you so I've been slowly reintroducing it and this is good I will definitely sip on it I can't promise that I will be able to finish it but it's what's that country song? Tequila makes her clothes fall off or something like that. Oh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, brings back memories, and we don't. We need to focus on our films. Oh, oh yeah, we we got we still on, got more podcasts to get. Through. We've got so much more to go through. So I, I do appreciate the double fisting because it just seems very festive, and I like the different flavor profiles. Um, and let's be honest, when we're all home for the holidays, we're double fisting. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you have the cranberry margarita, which is very tart. Yeah. Um, but good, and then the eggnog, which I love because it's nice and smooth. Right. And it has that sweet, like, it's just good. It's thick and milky. It kind of mm-hmm. gives you that warm feeling. And then what's interesting is, to me, a margarita is such a summer drink, but with the cranberries being kind of a staple for Christmas-themed drinks, mm-hmm. it does kind of bring out the, the spirits, the Christmas spirit. Ooh, it brings Ooh. the Christmas spirit yes. Yes. out <laughs> in yeah. the drink, which and is I, nice. So it's you got one that's light and refreshing mm-hmm. and could be a good any time of year drink. And then you've got your eggnog, which is traditional holiday season time. So Yeah, yeah. and I've seen these garnished with, like, cranberries and, like, like Nick said, the sprig of, like, rosemary, and it's very, like wreath looking you know with the berries and like the evergreen yeah so. you could go crazy with that yeah it's just this, is, this is a drink it's where a it's pretty... like you want to make it as pretty as possible yeah. yeah throw some plant life in there and and then with the eggnog yeah. you can sprinkle some nutmeg mm-hmm. yeah or be really fancy and get a grated nutmeg on there I just want, like, a bunch of gingerbread men that are, like, posed, like, they're sitting in, like, a bubble bath or something, like, yeah. or a hot tub, and they're all just, like, in the eggnog, mm-hmm. just having a good little gingerbread guy time. Yeah, That's nice. That's or a, gal time. That's a nice visual. Well, thank you, Nick, for making us two fantastic holiday cocktails. Yeah, happy to help. Um, so, yeah, enjoy. Awesome. Okay, so we've got our cocktails in hand. So, Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie you picked? All right. 
So I went with the apartment and um, the apartment is a 1960 romantic comedy slash drama directed and produced by Billy Wilder. Uh, you might know him from films like Sunset Boulevard, Sabrina, The Seven Year Itch, and Some Like It Hot. Uh, so pretty old Hollywood filmmaker. It stars Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray. And it's set during the holidays and spans from early November to New Year's Eve. The story follows C.C. Baxter, an insurance clerk who lives in New York City. In the hope of climbing the corporate ladder, he lets members of the executive team where he works use his Upper West Side apartment to conduct extramarital affairs. So it's kind of a out there concept, especially when you think about when it was made. Um, so because of this, Baxter is considered a ladies' man by his neighbors who thinks he's a crazy bachelor with no morals. He puts up with it and takes the blame for all of the shenanigans that happen at his apartment. So loud music, you know, different women there every night, empty alcohol bottles in the hallway, that sort of thing. At the office, he has a reputation as a hard worker, and we find out that he has a crush on one of the elevator operators in his office building, Fran Kubulik. But little does he know, Fran is having an affair with his immediate boss, Mr. Sheldrake. So I really don't want to give much of it away, because it's definitely worth watching, and I don't want to spoil it, especially since it's a holiday film that most people probably haven't seen. Um, but The Apartment was released in 1960 and had great commercial success, despite controversy to its subject matter. It became the eighth highest grossing film in 1960. Plus, the film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won five, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Lemon and McLean both won Golden Globe Awards for their performances. And the in the years since its release... The Apartment has come to be regarded as one of the greatest films ever made, appearing in lists by the American Film Institute. And in 1994, it was one of the 25 films selected for inclusion to the United States Library of Congress National Film Registry. So it's pretty acclaimed um, <clears throat> as a film, and I feel like not a lot of people have heard of it. Um it's a little bit comedy of errors, which I love. And the writing and the exp exposition are great. I think the most notable part about it is the writing. Um, there are just some fantastic cinematic moments, and you really have to watch it to truly get the feel. It kind of has an old Hollywood vibe to it. I love that it's in black and white. The score is great. Um, Jack Lemmon plays such a lovable character. And there's so much wit. Shirley MacLaine is iconic, but her character has such grace and vulnerability, too. Um, it's just a great film. So what did you think, Riley? Uh, I have not, like I said before, seen this film before. I had heard of The Apartment, though, and I was trying to think back to who had brought it up to me. And actually, I think around the holidays, I went to a trivia night and one of the questions centered around the apartment. Mm. Um, and I, I can't remember what the question was now at this point, but I remember them reading off the response to what film, because it had to do with holiday movies. Um, and in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I've never heard of the apartment before. Okay. And so when you brought it up, I thought, okay, great. What a, a good time to sit down and check it out. I am... a little surprised that it has as many accolades as it does, especially being a part of the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. I think that's... Yeah, that seems random. It's a really weird choice because... I think because it's probably a Best Picture winner. I'm assuming like, so, because yeah. when you think about maybe American values or some such, or representation of what you know, America or its foundation is you have a bunch of really shitty wealthy men who cheat on their wives for 
the entire, you know, two-hour film. Like, that is <laughs> the crux of what the apartment is about. Yes. And not only that, but you have this guy who is covering for them, who mm. is allowing them. It's sort of, it's hard. John Lemon, I didn't find his character particularly lovable. And maybe I just had more of a cynical approach. Or John... Jack. Jack Lemon. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say John Lennon? John, no, you, I think you said Lemon. Oh. <laughs> maybe you did. John Lennon. John Lennon. Uh, not wrong. lovable at all. <laughs> like, wrong movie. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Jack Lemon. My mm. apologies. I found to be really skeezy. He's oh. this guy who, wow, I thought, in a way, it's noble that he did not you know, allude to his neighbors that the goings-on were anyone other than himself. Mm. Like, oh, well, these people, they're just using me and yada, yada, yada. Because he's using them in return. He's using them to get favors in the workplace or Mm. be favored in the workplace. Mm. And even though he's said to be a hard worker, Part of that is because he can't get into his apartment half the time. So he's kind of forced to be at work, working later than anyone else's. So by happenstance, in a sense, it's like, how good is he at his job? Is he good at his job? Or is it just purely this, like, sort of secret society that he's begun almost his only way of climbing this ladder um and in many ways he comes across to me as a bit of a simpleton Mm -hmm. because he's a young bachelor i get that but i also recognize for the time there wasn't as much conversation probably surrounding what it is to be an ethical man right and so you have this ethical person really but I think the neighbor sort of plays this role this like the wise grandfather almost of let me bestow this wisdom upon you and expel my judgments about your lifestyle (laughs) um which aren't really his but I I think even when we're looking at the relationship between he and Shirley MacLaine's character he makes some really questionable decisions. So in a way, he's very... It's like he has this air of innocence about him despite doing this or providing this kind of really terrible thing to happen and enabling it. So in my eyes, I'm like, well, you're just an enabler. And so I really did like the film. I also think Lemon has really freaky eyes, and I think that distracted me. Just <laughs> probably really mean that he just like has this surprise look on his face all the time. Mm. And I think of how much shit uh, Kristen Stewart got or gets for um, like her role in Twilight. You know, she like everybody's like, oh, she always looks constipated or like worried or whatever. And I was like. Well, Lemon looks like a cat jumped out of a box every single time we cut to him. He's just like, oh, we're here again. Oh, my God, I'm on TV. What? Who am I? Why am I here? It's like, come on, man. Like, you can look. Give me give me something else. But I'm also probably too harsh of a critic. I just, like, <laughs> I, I thought it was really out there. The whole premise of it, just the apartment in general, that was not at all was what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we're going to have this weird, like, um, not weird, but almost this, like, coming of age story and that this man is young and he's new in his career and then he's going to, like, overcome some kind of obstacle and be a better person and yada, yada, yada. And he does, sort of, but just the obstacle is you know, a a bunch of executives sleeping with other women that are their wives in his apartment. (laughs) So it's this kind of, yeah, I I liked it. I thought it was really funny. I still laughed the whole way through. I thought it was hysterical. Um, Just like morally compromised for sure. Yeah. I mean, the premise is definitely unexpected. 
expected, um, especially for a holiday movie, and especially considering when it was made. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it is important to look at it in the lens of, like, yeah, this was made in, like, 1959. You know, it portrays these men, these executive men, that are cheating on their wives. And, obviously, morally, that is reprehensible. And, in fact, the um, the actor that um, played Mr. Sheldrake, so he's, like, the big box that um, is having an affair with Fran... Um, he was in a lot of Disney movies back in the day, and apparently he had to think twice before playing this role because obviously it's very uh, morally, like he's the villain basically. Yeah, know? he's totally yeah. the bad guy. Yeah, he's yeah. the bad guy. Yeah, and you know he's cheating on his wife. He's doing all those ter- these terrible things. But anyways, he ended up obviously doing the role. But, like, at the time, that's not what he was known for, like, as an actor. And I guess, like, people would just stop him in the street and be like, you're terrible, like, how dare you, you know? Kind of like how people would, like, you know, talk to the villains from, like, Game of Thrones. Like, obviously, they're actors, but it's like, they play such a, like, terrible person. It's just like, they can't shake it. Like They did such a good job they at did, portraying yeah. the role that... <laughs> right. Well, and that's how, I mean, that's definitely how it left me f- feeling. I was just like, you're just a terrible person and I think it really strikes a chord especially like being a woman Mm -hmm. working in an industry that's made up of a lot of men yeah male dominated very male dominated I mean obviously she's a she's working in this office building she's not really in their office though she's a an elevator operator but Mm -hmm. she's still around these men all the time yeah and they walk by her and like slap her butt and Mm -hmm. make all these inappropriate comments and things and it's just so irksome because the reality isn't that far off it was just not on screen right and it was more private well, so, if we're to be portrayed on screen at all, I think is kind of shocking. Right. Um, it's like, hey, this does happen. And they were saying it's bad. I mean, so uh, yeah. overall, it's it not like the film was celebrating. It wasn't being praised. No, they're like, adultery, like, woo. Right, yeah. Right. Like, it, there were consequences and, like, things happened and, like. Right. It's portrayed in a way of like, wow, yeah, this is really bad and bad things can happen, you know, from this behavior in the workplace. Right. And so on the other side of that coin, even though I feel, I feel like I've been really negative about it so far, but I think the positive from it is that it does say that, that the messaging is, this is a terrible thing. And every, you know, Every victory has its cost, right? So mm-hmm. what what are you willing to pay to succeed and when are you going to draw the line? Mm-hmm. So I think it's showing these big corporate men who are very powerful and essentially saying, you know, like this is not the only option. And I think a lot of people, especially in the workplace, get stuck in this l- hierarchy of like I have to climb this ladder and end up kind of submitting to these really unfair environments and cultures being just treated like absolute garbage right um but they don't have to you absolutely don't have to like there's always a choice yeah for something better well kind of light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing and I think like at the beginning especially like it's portraying the rat race so it was like late 50s, you know, post-war. And, you know, they, they're they in this office building that's so big. You know, there's 20 floors in this like building in New York City. And they even say how many employees there are. And they have to like dismiss people by floor or else there's like a traffic jam in the elevator. So it's like, you know, how do you get ahead? And like, you know, I think Jack Lemmon's character... Is definitely, like, low man on the totem pole, just trying to get by. You know, he's a single guy. And, yeah, he's in the rat race and obviously makes some really, you know, 
morally skewed, you know, bad decisions to get into this situation. And, but that's the crux of the movie. Right. Is, you know, what he does and, you know, um, how he handles the predicament that he's put himself in, basically, by letting these men use his apartment, you know, for however long. Right. To, like, have affairs, basically. <laughs> and, you know, even though he kind of, he is the nice guy, quote unquote, he also loses a lot. So, mm-hmm. in the film, it's not like he, because of the, the use of his apartment or allowing the use of his apartment, he's not winning. Mm-mm. In no way is he winning. Like, maybe it gives the illusion of winning for a while. Like, he's being used. But he is being used. Yeah. And he has other situations that arise that could be really good for him, but he's still losing mm-hmm. because of this whole orchestration that is happening. And it's kind of, I mean, it is funny that you know, he's having to, like, schedule people in. So he's at the office and having oh. to call around. And he's like, can I move you to Wednesday? Can I move you to Thursday? You know, we're good for Friday. And calls back the first person. It's funny. And, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it is it's ridiculous. And it's, you know, kind of over-the-top theatrics of, of all that it takes to orchestrate this master schedule of the apartment. Yeah, I guess I I am curious what you thought about um, Fran's character. Yes, so it, watching this, I didn't really look too much into the apartment ahead of time, Um, but Shirley MacLaine is just a wonderful actress. I am Mm -hmm. obsessed with her. She's so talented, but I've never seen her in a role like this before. It's really, really early in her career. She... To me, especially I think maybe because it was black and white, because her red hair has always really stood out to me. Oh, right. But since this was black and white, I didn't even recognize her at all. And so it took me probably up until today for it to really click who Mm. she was, because I think I was doing a little research. I was like, no way. Okay. Yes. I know exactly who you are wow, this is so different for you because she's played these really strong female roles that are typically a little wiser. They're, because she's, I think I know her more so from, like her later like career. Steel, was she in Steel Magnolias? and I'm not sure. She's been in a couple of things. Yeah. She's been in a lot of stuff. But yeah. from what I remember her from, anyway, she's been older. Mm-hmm. And she's such a, kick-ass boss lady and in this she's playing a really um kind of I mean she's a very gentle and abused woman yeah you know she's young she's had a lot of really awful like love history Mm -hmm. so far in her life and it continues to be bad and so in she is totally a victim throughout this entire movie and I think the growth that I see that makes me the most excited was hers yeah and absolutely yeah yeah because she's very funny and she's sharp but she's also I think as a for a female character of that time to be as complicated as she was, as complex of a thinker as she was, yeah. was really unheard of. Yeah, her, so, her character is very complex. It's really complex. And, yeah, and, yeah, and I don't want to give too much away for what happens because it definitely, there. It's, it's a little bit of a trigger. It's sad and, you know, and mm-hmm. there's kind of this full circle um, healing that happens. But it's just like, whoa. This really terrible thing just happened, and the response to it from these men is just really downplaying it. Yeah. And acting as if it was, you know, just, oh, a silly mistake or a silly a silly woman thing to do. Yeah. Except for that, Jack Lemon. Right, and I feel like that's mainly from the Mr. Sheldrake character. Yes. Yeah. And Absolutely. So it... it it sounds like it's not a holiday movie, but it it does take place like on Christmas Eve, or the the pivotal scenes take place on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite sweet. I like the ending a lot. I actually will say that this is probably the best ending I've ever seen for a movie. It yeah, was, the, end, the ending is great. I love the ending. It was just really lovely. It was r- really subtle. And mm-hmm. I think after a film that has so much happening in it that's not subtle at all, it's pretty melodramatic in some ways. Yeah. Um, because it, it needed to be. I think in order to find the comedy in it, you needed to upplay quite a bit because, you know, the content was so... Um, controversial and heavy. Mm -hmm. So then you have this ending scene that's just really kind of delicate and sweet and Mm open-ended. And I loved it. It was perfect. It was all the, everything you wanted and needed, but not more than that. Yeah. And that's, that's what I really like about old movies is I feel like the endings just kind of occur. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they're not overthought, they're not overly orchestrated, there's no post-scenes credit, like, it's just kind of like, yep, thin, like, like that's the end. And, and you don't need more. And you don't need more, yeah. So I feel like that's, I don't know, for me, like, old movies just, it's not overworked. And I will say, yeah, the Fran character is probably my favorite part about the movie. I mean, it, it is the, my favorite part of the movie, and she has this wonderful line so, um, so not to give too much away, but, um, so Fran was in Jack's, Jack Lemon's character's apartment, but he didn't know it at the time because he didn't know who was being brought to his apartment and he finds a broken mirror and he returns it to, you know, Mr. Sheldrake of like, oh, hey, like this belongs to your lady friend. Like it was left at my apartment. And then Jack Lemon's character sees... Fran using that mirror and it clicks for him and obviously it's kind of like a come to terms moment where it's like he's processing it and he's like oh or and Fran picks it up and she's like what are you looking at and he's like your mirror it's broken and she has this wonderful line that's like like I like I like it that way it makes me look the way I feel and it's just like the writing is just so I don't know it just works and it's heavy it's so it's so heavy. I think that's something that surprised me was how her character is really dark. She is going through... Yeah, she's going through stuff, yeah. A lot. And then you have Jack Lemon, who is bubbly and innocent and sort of this aloof character. Like he doesn't and, take things and, seriously. Um, no, not he's really. He's just kind of bopping through life. And and he he's doing the best. He, I think he... He rolls with the punches more so. Yeah. It's not like he's, he's not unaware happy. that he's being punched. It's just like, well, what am I going to do about it? I guess yeah. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, so. he's not happy-go-lucky, but he's just kind of like, yeah, roll with the punches is a good way of saying it. Right. And so for him, as he's piecing this together, I think he's like, oh, man, that really sucks. But, you know, it just sucks. And for her, she's just feeling the weight of everything and exactly what he's putting together she's feeling it too just in a more real way mm-hmm. so it's sort of interesting how like her life is a drama but everyone else is playing in a comedy well in the comedy comedy of errors part um for me because it is i think a comedy of errors so mm-hmm. so he doesn't know that she's being brought to his apartment and she doesn't know that it's his apartment he, she just thinks it's some yeah. rendezvous spot that's unconnected you know she doesn't think it's her coworker's apartment like yeah clearly not <laughs> clearly not so um so you know that but it's that moment that's just like wow like dang yeah no, that, that is a really fantastic line. And she actually has some really great dialogue. She's got some really witty mm-hmm. remarks throughout it. I wish I could just pull one out of my hat. But she, her writing, or the writing for her was really, really fantastic. Okay, so I do have some fun facts. Um, this was the last black and white movie to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards until The Artist in 2011. So Schindler's List in 1993, or I guess it won in 1994, was not completely black and white, and some scenes were in color, like the red coat, 
and the candle at the beginning. So the apartment was the last black and white movie to win Best Picture. Till 2011. 2011, yeah. Another fun fact is the $100 cash Christmas gift um, that's given in the movie would be the equivalent of $871 in the year 2020 due to inflation. Oh my gosh. So can you imagine like that getting, yeah, so in 1960 or 1959 getting a $100 just $100 in cash for a Christmas gift would be almost $900. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I did not. Oh, wow. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Um, so another fact is kind of interesting. So uh, mentioned the, the rat race. So they're in this, like, big New York City office building with, like, just floors packed with people working at this insurance company. So, to create the effect of a vast sea of faces laboring uh, grimly at their desks in the huge insurance company office, um, the designers, like the set designers, they had this technique. So, they used full-sized actors sat at the desks in the front, and children dressed in suits were used at tiny desks towards the rear, followed by even smaller desks with cut-out figures operated by wires. And it gave the effect of a much larger space than could have been achieved in the limited studio space. That's hysterical. Yeah, I, I just love How the... weird that there's these <laughs> tiny children in suits. Like at tiny desks. <laughs> at little tiny desks. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of adorable. I would have thought it, they would have used mirrors, but... Same. I I kind of assume they used mirrors. I kind of assume they used mirrors too, but apparently they used children in suits at tiny desks. Very practical effects. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Riley, tell us about your movie pick. Yeah. So, I chose Last Holiday, which came out in 2006. It stars Queen Latifah, LL Cool J, and Timothy Hutton. The film stands out to me because on the surface, it kind of seems like a blockbuster holiday grab, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier. It was one that I thought Elf might be, honestly, uh, when I first saw that it was coming out, just to kind of get families to the theater around Christmas time. I think any film that has come out in the 2000s that's a holiday-centered film tends to strike me as kind of a money grab, but there's also been some really fun new holiday movies, like more modern ones. So, like I said, Elf is one that comes to mind, Um, Christmas with the Cranks, you know, there are other ones too, but those, to me, some of them perform really well, and I've also seen some that were kind of a flop. So, Last Holiday is one that I hope a lot of you haven't seen, so you can have something new to look forward to this season, uh, even though it's a little bit of an older movie, after you watch all of the regular favorites and classics, of course. Um, so it centers around Queen Latifah's character, Miss Georgia Bird, who sadly is given the news that she has very little time left to live. After bumping her head at work, she takes a CAT scan, which reveals several tumors in her brain. Obviously shocked and saddened by the news, she takes all of the money she has and travels to the Grand Poop Hotel, (laughs) where she has dreamed of going for its beauty and delicious cuisine. And it's spelled P-U-U-P, I believe. Um, And it's spelled uh, or pronounced poop. So kind of like poop. Yeah. But not. But it looks like pup. But it looks like pup, like a puppy. But they're like poop. The the poop. The poop hotel. The poop hotel. Uh, Poop jokes aside, well, she's there. She meets a crew of uh, wealthy individuals one of whom owns a retail store chain that she works at prior to her diagnosis. She has a really wonderful uh, walkout moment from said retail job. She He's like a huge jerk and has these really awful, like how to be big man on top kind of like magazines and uh, 
I forget what they're called, but now you would call it a podcast, but it's like the self-help tapes that you can listen to on your like Walkman as you're... Oh, yeah. It's like how to get ahead in business. like <sighs> Right. But it's all very... Egocentric. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the film follows the various relationships she has with each of those individuals and the positive change and influence she has on each of them. Another really beautiful friendship we see develop is that of Miss Bird and Chef DDA, who is one of her cooking idols. It's really fun to watch the friendship blossom over food and to see two people from very different parts of the world form such a bond over it. I think it's a good callback to our last episode, Foodie Movies, uh, in that you get to see some really gorgeous meals prepared and so much passion for food. Miss Bird is from Louisiana, so her connection with food makes a lot of sense. Um, it reminds me of what Nick was talking about last episode about New Orleans being so food-centric and that being really important to its identity. So The Last Holiday is a comedy. There are lots of great moments throughout, like Queen Latifah snowboarding down a black diamond um, and base jumping off the side of this just massive, terrifying wall. Um, and it also does something really unique with her character in the way that her religion and relationship with God plays a big role in the film. She occasionally talks to God and treats that as almost another character throughout the movie, but it doesn't, like, it does so in a really honest way. Sometimes I feel like the religion of a character can either be way too overly important to the story or just so insignificant it might as well be left out. Um, here, it's kind of what you would expect someone who just found out that they're dying might be feeling and going through. And I, I actually really appreciated that addition. I don't always love it, but I think it really helped create a foundation of who the Miss Bird character really is and shows why her actions are motivated the way that they are. Um, so... I don't want to give too much of the actual plot of the movie away, but all of those influential characters that she meets while at the Grand Hotel um, have a connection to her in some way in her everyday life, which I thought was really interesting. It's oh, sort of yeah. like a meeting of fate mm. sort of moment. So it's fun to see those connections made throughout the film too, kind of a callback to who she was and who she is. And there's almost this little bit of mystery that each of these individuals is involved in and trying to figure out who exactly Miss Bird is. You know, she's just this wealthy woman from Louisiana and they know nothing else about her. So it's kind of fun to see them build up these false realities and images of her in their own mind. Uh, but there are some really interesting little facts about it. So all the dishes that were served in the movie were prepared by Food Network chefs who traveled with the crew to do all the cooking. So they also taught Queen Latifah some basic cooking techniques so she would look like a professional chef throughout the movie. Um, so also similar to Chef, the film we had talked about. Yeah. Um, and the Grand Hotel poop was also used in the James Bond film, Casino Royale, as Hotel Splendide in Mon Montenegro. So if you've seen that film, maybe you'll be able to make that connection. Um, it's a really gorgeous building, so very cool. Um, and all, all around, Queen Latifah was just fucking dazzling. This is such a good role um, for her specifically, she's this really empowered character and she empowers herself, which I think is really unique to see. There's not even really, obviously there's this life-changing moment for her, but the before and after of who she is at her core is the exactly the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really see that change too much. But what did you think of the film, Taylor? I really enjoyed it. So it was my first time watching Last Holiday. Um, I really like Queen Latifah. Um, I think she's a great actress. Um, I like that. So there is a scene. So she's in a church choir. And um, she has a moment where she's belting out, you know, with, with her choir gospel um, worship service. And uh, so I liked how they were able to 
nod at her her singing career because it's such a great moment in the movie and it's kind of her why me why god or you know why me you know moment where she found out that she has this disease um so I, I really enjoyed that that moment in the movie I thought it was interesting I wasn't really expecting this like feeling of like espionage because um like like you said there's she she comes in to this hotel as like a woman of mystery kind of like who who is she like she came in on a helicopter and like the last person to do that was Sir Elton John like she must be so wealthy and everyone's like talking about her and trying to like figure out who she is and um and really you know she's just spending all of her money on this last you know extravagant trip that she's always wanted to take I also thought it was interesting that it took place in Prague yeah. Because I was expecting Paris. I was too. And I think because uh, Chef Didier is French, I was assuming that it would be Paris that it would take place in too. Well, and she had that like flip book of her like book of possibilities. And so it's kind of a scrapbook of like her um, kind of like bucket list. And she had some things of like Paris and she's kind of going through like, oh, I never made it here. And like, you know. So, I don't know. thought it, Prague was a really interesting locale because I think Paris would have been maybe too cliche. But I appreciated, you know, the setting was beautiful. Um, I liked the... So, she came from retail. Um, so, the service industry. And now she's in this luxurious, like, hotel with the staff that's, like, doting upon her because she's a big spender. So she has a valet and she has like, you know, all these people serving her, but she like, I mean, you know, keeps it real, so to say, because she, you know, she's been there. So she's really nice and like generous and just like a wonderful person. But then she's brushing shoulders with these wealthy people who are like jerks to, you know, the people working at the hotel. So I thought that was like a really nice Thing about the movie that I appreciated. It also got her a lot. Like, throughout, you know, I think her character mentions that she's lucky and she's had a lot of luck on this trip. And really, it's through her kindness to other people and, and honestly, just being a good human being. There's nothing that she does that's over the top, just out of her way, super, super nice. Like, right. she's just a a decent person. Yeah, down to earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody else at this hotel is very wealthy and aware of their wealth and everyone's sort of beneath them. You know, even the people who are still kind of nice, they do and say things that are pretty cringe-worthy. Right, because you have a character that's a senator and so he's, you know, face-level polite because, like, it's a mask or, you know, he's, he's acting this way not because of the goodness of his heart, but because, like, that's how he needs to present himself because he's a senator. Right. So I definitely got that vibe. Um, and I did like the scene where they're at dinner, and this is the hotel where the famous chef, DDA, you know, is uh, cooking, and he has, like, a special menu every night that he curates. And so there's a scene where the table of, like, these... Uh, the group of wealthy people that she meets along the way, they all order, but they all, like, um, try to alter the menu. So no dairy, no gluten, no meat, you know, that sort of, th that sort of thing. And so he, he gets the ticket, you know, the order, the chef gets the order. And of course he's not happy because he's like, oh, like what? Like no meat, no dairy. Like why do you even bother eating? So he's very displeased by their order. But then, all the substitutions that yes, they make. Yes, exactly. All the substitutions. And so, um, but then Queen Latifah's character, she just orders everything as is. And she orders one of everything. And he's so impressed by her. Um, and, you know, they're talking about, you know, secret ingredients like lard. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's from Louisiana, and, you know, the cooking there is, you know, very fat, butter, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I liked that scene quite a lot because the chef was just appalled by, you know, this order that came through with all these substitutions. And he's this world-renowned chef. Right. And here are all these people picking apart, you know, these 
things that are so specifically construct- constructed to taste a certain way because of the different flavor profiles and there's yeah. just so much thought that goes into it and then I feel like you... that's like a it would be a faux pas like if you actually were in that setting absolutely like I to... would assume so I don't yeah. think that's that feels off to me it does for me too like I feel like they would know like oh this is a world-renowned chef you don't try to alter his menu but they're like oh like no gluten for me please you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I, their connection over the food was just really charming. It was. And, like, at the end, you know, he visits her because, like, they connect over their love of food. And, obviously, like, New Orleans is a big food hub. Mm-hmm. Um, so that relationship was really charming. Um, I also liked how, like, what she wants at the start of the movie doesn't really change from the end of the movie. Like, even, like with what she goes through, like, thinking that, you know, she's going to, she only has, like, three weeks to live. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked that as a person, fundamentally, she doesn't really change. Because I feel like there's movies where it's, like, oh, a really crappy person finds out they're dying, and so then they, like, change their attitude for the better and try to right their wrongs or, like, Mm -hmm. redeem themselves somehow. But, like, for her, it's not, like, a redemption story at all. Yeah, and even beyond that, yeah, there she's already a good person, and there are things that she wants. So there is some romance involved in the film, but when she finds out that she's dying, she doesn't tell the guy. It, instead, she's like, you know, I'm not going to do this to this person that I do care about and do have feelings for. In, and I'm not saying... I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but I think in my mind, I'd be probably greedy and like, I want to spend as much time with you as I can because I'm about to die, you know? And instead she's like, you know, I'm going to do this thing that I've always wanted to do and I'm going to focus on myself and I'm not going to pull other people into this. She kept it really quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was just like a lot of tact and grace in that and which was very impressive. And so I think in a way the whole film has more to do with the evolution of these kind of icky, wealthy individuals that Mm. she meets there. It's like their evolution and their betterment that we see happening. She does really stay the same the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I also really liked the uh, quintessential fashion montage that we got. I feel like it's not a 2000s movie without a fashion montage. Oh, no. Oh, no. And especially the way she does it. She's just got such good style anyway, but mm. it was just a lot of fun. Like, they dress her like a... She kind of got this weird 70s vibe, and then she looks kind of like a pimp, and they just take her through a whole lot of different different looks. Well, and she walks in, and she goes, make me look European. <laughs> Which is like, we'll try. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Oh, who knows? Well, (laughs) and she's gorgeous. Like, Queen Latifah, they, at the very beginning, they dress her fairly drab. You know, they have Mm. some pretty bland colors and nothing terribly revealing. It's all very modest. Yeah. Um, And, like, she's still such a babe. Like, they try to dress her down and, like, kind of make her look more plain, I think. And then she has these gorgeous ball gowns. And, I mean, she's just a beautiful woman all around. Even when she walks into the the store, the fashion shop, to, like, make me European and do the whole montage. It's like she's still – she looks good walking in there. Right. It's just – But then – I think it cuts to, so after the fashion montage, it cuts to her going to dinner Mm -hmm. at the chef's, like, restaurant in the hotel, and she's wearing this, like, gorgeous evening gown, and the uh, host is like, oh, let me take your pashmina, and she's like, oh, is that what this is? (laughs) And it's like a, like a wrap or something. (laughs) Yeah, just the thing that kind of goes over the shoulders. But it just cracked me up. It's like, let me, allow me to take your pashmina. (laughs) It's like, who says that? (laughs) They do. They're they, European, Taylor. Yes, yes. Everybody in Europe knows what a pashmina is. Of course they do. But, really? but the movie's great. I loved it. I uh, would definitely watch it again. Very entertaining. I loved all the antics of, you know, she's there to fulfill some, like, 
you know, bucket list items. So yeah, they have her like do the base jumping and the snowboarding and stuff. And well, they have like pamphlets of like all the things you can take lessons for and sign up for. And like, she does all these spa treatments. So I just thought it was lovely. Just like the extravagance of like, uh, yeah, let me, let me do this treatment and that. And you know, the, I don't know, she does like a mud bath and like the massage with like where they have the palm fronds and they're like whacking you with them and the like heavy, boulders like (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and those are a lot of fun too I think I really like the word you use uh entertaining Mm -hmm. like and I feel like I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before but definitely in person we have like identifying a movie that is good to you Mm. or a good movie in general is what's entertaining because movies are meant to entertain and I think sometimes we can get really wrapped up in the accolades or the um, maybe the artistry, what we find beautiful, but also unique ways of storytelling. But a film that's good can also just be entertaining. And I, I really feel like Last Holiday is just an entertaining, feel-good movie. It it's- absolutely is. All right. Well, that wraps up our holiday episode. Thanks so much for joining us once again. We appreciate all of you out there, um, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to us this year. I know we're rolling in right into a new year. It's been kind of a whirlwind, but it's been a lot of fun, and I don't want to speak for you, Taylor, but I think year one-ish has gone really well. I've really enjoyed it. So I think so too. Yeah, I think this has been a lot of fun and we really appreciate all the support we've we've had. And so as always, thanks for listening. Uh, let us know if you have a favorite holiday movie or a favorite holiday drink. Um, and let us know if you try eggnog with some apple brandy. Let, let us know what you think. Yeah, big big 10 for that one because it was delicious and super easy. Nobody needs extra work around the holidays. Um, but I could definitely use a few extra drinks. So again, totally let us know if you have any suggestions for us. Um, be sure you're subscribing to the podcast. Go ahead and give us a like or a follow. Um, we are on Spotify and Apple So you can find us wherever you typically pod um, or listen and leave us a review if you've got time to make us more relevant so we can show up on more people's feeds and, you know, chat with them as well. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next time. Mm